Welcome to Superheroes of Science. I'm Steven. And I'm Sarah. We co-host Science from the Experts. Our guests are professionals doing cutting-edge science right now. They are experts in their field discussing what they know best. So listen up and learn real science from real people. Subscribe now and stay informed of our latest episodes and show your support. Today on Superheroes of Science, we're excited to welcome Tommy Soares. Tommy is an assistant director of an infectious disease institute. Can That's you tell us right. more about that? Yes, it's the Purdue Institute of Inflammation, Immunology, and Infectious Disease. PI4D for short. Okay, PI4D. Yes. Purdue. Purdue. Okay. Like, Institute uh-huh. of Inflammation, Inflammation, Immunology, and Infectious. That's the fourth I. Got it. Disease is the D. I had to think about the pie because yeah. I was stuck. Right. I was thinking right. like that. So like, yeah. yes. no. That makes sense it's now. P I to the power of four mm. D. Got it. <laughs> you want to be mathematical. Right. right. No, she does. <laughs> I know. I think it's like, I like that. I mean, it's okay, I support that. But what is it? Yeah. So this is an institute that actually assembles many different faculty from different departments mm -hmm. to do new things that Purdue has not done traditionally be before because people were stuck in their departments. So we're trying to mix yeah. people together. Uh, so for example, we're trying to bring engineers with the chemists and the biologists to make new types of diagnostics or new types of therapeutics against infectious diseases or inflammatory diseases or understand immunology and how we can help uh, diagnose uh, different diseases and different uh, disease states if you want. Mm -hmm. What we really would love to do is be able to telltale the signs of disease before they happen. So oh, wow. really recognize how we can uh, tell the early signs of disease so that we can pounce on them mm -hmm. and make a difference before they actually progress on beyond a, a place where we can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. right? Oh, okay. Wow, that sounds very exciting and very cutting edge. Has this is this yeah. a new initiative? Has this been around for a while? Yeah, I mean, fairly new since 2016, okay. when the Pillars of Excellence at Purdue came together. Uh, we were one of the institutes that were selected, along with the Institute for Drug Discovery. There was also the Institute for Integrative Neuroscience, uh, along with the Plant Sciences Institute as well. So this was part of that uh, big leaps uh, for, for... It was all about breaking down silos, right? Exactly. Breaking down silos, which are barriers to greater understanding. Greater understanding and perhaps uh, even uh, brighter ideas, more innovation, because mm -hmm. more people from different perspectives are providing input and those different perspectives provide many times an aha moment that others didn't see before. Right? I like that. Uh, yeah. Which makes sense for any team. The more mm -hmm. diverse backgrounds people have, the more better the ideas, the richer it is. That's right. That's right. That's something we talk about all the time right. because it's with the different groups we get to collaborate with. It's yeah. so much better than the stuff we could have done on our I agree. The challenge is how do you get all these people to talk to each other? 
and communicate properly so that they're understanding each other. Mm -hmm. Many times when we do science, we get so specialized in our own areas that these specialties also come with a lingo, a particular language that we Mm -hmm. speak. And so when we describe things within our fields is a language that we use that is not very much understood but uh, by other scientists that are in different fields. So I, I try to um, help with the communication. I try to help assemble teams of scientists and go after proposals, for example, go after funding opportunities by, by writing these proposals. Right? What, what, what do we mean by infectious diseases? When you say infectious disease, I'm sure everyone has a different picture of what that might mean. But what do we mean by infectious disease? So an infectious disease is a disease that can be transmitted from person to person, animal to animal, uh, animal to person as well. Uh, That also happens. So uh, these are diseases that are different from chronic diseases like cancer. Um, A disease like cancer, you can't pass it on to another person. Uh, versus an infectious agent can be transmitted from one person or one organism to another. Okay, okay. Now that makes sense. I like that definition. I know we were talking to feral farms with their turkeys before. And they were yeah. talking about that avian bird flu and yeah. how, and I didn't realize a lot of the different flus were, I mean, did, it's like birds and people could get it from each other and stuff. I had no idea yeah. until we talked to him. That's right. There is this, um, potential for some of the viruses to jump from animals to humans. Um, And very much unbeknownst to us, this might happen more frequently than what we really know. Um, And we know of a few cases where we've discovered how this happened. There's a very famous story of uh, Nipah virus. The Nipah virus was discovered in India Um, And it came about because this pig farmer um, was farming his pigs under a mango tree. And the mango tree was populated by these bats that would consume the mango. And every once in a while, some of the mango would drop out of their mouth full Mm -hmm. of saliva. And here would come the little piglets. Mm -hmm pick up the mango and in the process get infected by this virus that was being carried by these fruit bats. And unbeknownst to the pig farmer who was handling these pigs, the virus jumped from the pig to the farmer too. And this is how we have now this Nipah uh, virus and, and you know, the solution to that is fairly easy, right? Don't farm your pigs under the mango trees, right? Uh, <laughs> I thought that. <laughs> okay. But right. unless we knew how things happen, we wouldn't be able to come up with these types of solutions to prevent wow. these diseases from passing from one organism to another like that, right? Yeah. 
So the sci-fi movies were right, huh? <laughs> Sometimes. Because <laughs> huh. huh, I saw that movie. <laughs> oh, no. Well, in, in this, even in, like, that, just even in that example, I could see the need for this um, clear communication. Because had that never been communicated to anyone, how would anyone know? I mean, how would we That's know right. about this today? So this is a... That's right. And imagine how many different fields needed to come together right. for this communication to happen. Mm -hmm. um, it was the farmer. So you would have thought, okay, are there is there an extension program, program like the one yeah. at Purdue here mm -hmm. that interacted with that person? What about the veterinarian that found the pig to be sick or to be ill and that infectious disease doctor that then found that same virus in that farmer or what about the environmental biologist or ecologist that was studying the population of the fruit bats and mm -hmm. maybe the epidemiologist that was studying the transmission of the virus from one species to another so there were so many different fields that needed to really come together, mm -hmm. talk to each other to say, hey, wait a minute, we really think this is what's going on. Uh, but it, it took it took some time for people to really right. communicate. And that that's a bit of an art form uh, to get people to be able to uh, keep uh, interacting with each other enough until they start to pick up the link. Uh, because it, it's not like you would ever lose that. We're typically dealing with very intellectual, uh, intelligent people mm -hmm. that want to learn, right? Yeah. The profs, the scientists, it's always in the learning mode. Yeah. Um, one of the things that is so exciting that's happening now is computational sciences and how we're using computers to start to understand biology and biological processes, which is some of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about. Yeah, you're, you're on, I think if I remember right, if I understood right, and you've already started, you've thrown out some ologies already. Yeah, yeah, I about stopped you on into, <laughs> there was into, oh Lord, help me here. Epidemiology. Yeah, and so yes. you've already thrown out one. Yes. I'm like, now wait a minute, what exactly does that type of person yeah. study? And so uh, I think that's one of the things that you were going to help us understand was what some of these ologies, what some of these specialties actually do, right? Yeah, there are, and it's particular in this field um, that is starting to open up much bigger. It's been happening. It's mm -hmm. this omics or genomics revolution that we've all been hearing about. Uh, we've all been in tune to but I wanted, I wanted the audience really to start to grasp what are the, all these omics and what's the potential for these omics? What can we do with them? And how are they changing the world of biology? How are they changing the world of biomedicine and health and how we're gonna be able to deal with health issues and diseases? So we all have heard this term genomics, but what does it really mean, right? And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so maybe you haven't heard the term genomics. Well, I so, hear terms used, but I, right. I, 
You know, it, it just because someone used it doesn't mean you understood really what they're saying. Absolutely. You kind of get an idea of times and you go with it. Yes. But, okay, it probably means this, and you just run with it. Yes. And so, but actually knowing what it means, no, I don't. <laughs> okay, well, so I hope to be able to shed some light. So every cell in your body, okay, let's just talk about the body. Okay, mm -hmm. the body or a plant or an animal, an animal, a plant, our bodies, we are what are called multicellular organisms, meaning that we are made up of a collection of cells that each have a job to do, mm -hmm. and they make up organs, they make up structures, and they make up what we are. Uh, what we're all about. Mm -hmm. So each one of us is composed of this multitude of cells and each one of those cells packages the information that tells them and instructs them on how to live life. These instructions are held very tight and very secure in a very safe spot inside the cell. And that place is called the nucleus. And it's all of the instructions that the cell would ever need to survive, to thrive. Imagine all the different types of cells that we have. We have skin cells, and we have tongue cells, and eye cells, and we have stomach cells, and lung cells, and throat cells, and all kinds of different cells that they each have a job to do. How are all those instructions passed on to these cells? How do they know how to do the job that they're supposed to do? Because if you're a skin cell, you're not really supposed to be doing the job of an eye cell. Then we would have a problem. But they all have the same information tucked away in this library that we call the nucleus. And why am I talking about the library? because I really want you guys to think about what we do in this library of ours. We keep huge encyclopedias and very rare and precious books that carry all the knowledge for us to succeed in life and know about so many topics. But those books are kept safe in the library. If you and I want to take a little bit of that information, sometimes they let you take a book out, but most of the time, if it's a big encyclopedia, what do you have to do? Yeah. Make a copy of it and then carry the copy with you to where you need to go. Mm -hmm. And the cells use the same thing. They don't take this information and chop it up and then send the book out of the nucleus. They make a copy and keep the original safe in the library, in the nucleus. Mm -hmm. And this copy is instructions for whatever it is that you need to do. Uh, these instructions are carried in this copy that we call RNA or mRNA, mm -hmm. right? RNA is a copy of those instructions, and it's that little piece of RNA that is taken outside of the nucleus and taken to the spot outside where it needs to do its job. What are these instructions? What are the instructions of life? 
Well, it so happens that our cells that have jobs to do, they produce proteins, which are workers. They do jobs inside the cell. They're little machines. They convert one thing to another thing. Or proteins that act as the scaffold, the infrastructure to make sure that the cell does the job in the space that it's supposed to occupy, the size, it has all the plumbing, all the piping, all, everything that it's going to need, all mm -hmm. the energy. And so these proteins are made, the instructions to make these proteins comes from this mRNA where they're taken outside of the nucleus and they're made out in the cytosol. So there are all these fields that have started to pop up. For several years now, we have been sequencing the genome of humans mm -hmm. and rats and mice and plants and fruits and vegetables and anything you can imagine. Now we're starting to sequence and sequence and sequence. What are we doing? What we're really doing is that we're taking these instructions for life that are tucked inside the nucleus and we call the genome of each organism. And we're able to sequence all of this, which are the instructions. It's like a dictionary, okay? Mm -hmm. DNA, this genome is really DNA instructions. And, and it's how, the how to make proteins and how to live and when should we make these proteins and mm -hmm. give these instructions. But it's like a dictionary. And it's a dictionary that has letters and words. Those letters are put together to make up words. DNA has letters A, T, C, and G to keep it simple. And these are put in different patterns to make up these words that we call genes. And it's this gene word that now starts to come into play in this genomics era where we're trying to understand all of the letters and all of the words and the differences that of the letters and the words that you have in your DNA and the differences in the letters that you have in your DNA, my DNA. And you know, the differences are not that big you and I are 90% banana, if you didn't know. <laughs> Why? Because, you say banana? Yes, yes, banana. <laughs> because bananas and plants all have the same requirements for life that right. we do. So the majority of the instructions, 90% of these instructions are the same. We all need the same things to live. It's just a little few things here and there that make us so different. Oh, wow. It is incredible. But it's these instructions now that we're calling genomics. What are all the collection of genomes? The rat genome, the human genome, the Arabidopsis is a special plant genome, the genome of all the different organisms that we can sequence. And in fact, there's a lot of projects out there that are just trying to sequence as much as we can. Imagine all the bacteria, 
all the viruses. Each all of those things each, have its own genome. Each one of those things has its own genome. And we're to the point in science that we can actually record that? We can decipher all the letters and what we think are the words. We're starting to understand this language, but we are still at very infancy stages okay. of understanding it. Yes, we've made a lot of progress in knowing what are the genes, and we think we know, but we're making discoveries all the time. Um, we, it's a very complicated thing. It's, it, it happens to be that it's not only the order of these letters that make up words, and combining words to make a sentence is where we don't really understand how things work. And, and many times that's what we're trying to piece together. So these proteins that do work inside the cell, what kind of work do they do? Well, as I said, they convert one thing to another. And so what is one thing to another? Well, really, we need a lot of energy, a lot of energy, especially our brains constantly, constantly firing. We're thinking, we're analyzing, and we're moving, we're talking. And so we need a lot of energy. And so one of the things that we need to do vitally in our cells is break down sugar so that we can release the energy, the batteries of life, so that they can do the work, make more proteins, more scaffold, do more messaging, all the stuff that the cell does in order to survive. And so sugars and how sugars are manipulated inside the cell, um, that those processes are called metabolism. And so all cells metabolize different compounds, different elements, sugars, fats, and lipids. And so all of these fields now have started to pop up their own omics type of fields of right. understanding, meaning. So we have genomics, the collection of all the genomes okay. and understanding the ATCs and Gs of the DNA. We have proteomics, or wait, I should step back. Let me step back a second. <laughs> we first have genomics, then we have all of the copies of these genes that are sent out, the mm -hmm. RNA. Well, those are called transcripts. They keep the, the special stuff in the nucleus and they send transcripts out into the cells. And so we have a field now called transcriptomics, which is the collection of all the RNAs, all the genes that are being expressed mm -hmm. at a particular period of time. And then all of those are instructions on how to make proteins. So we have a field called proteomics as well, which is all of the collection of, of proteins that are being made in the cell at a particular point in time. And then all those proteins are metabolizing things inside the cell. So we have metabolomics as another <laughs> oh field. And all of these fields, as you can imagine, are generating boatloads of information. Oh, data like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, uh, so much data mm -hmm. that 
unless you're really well prepared to handle that much data, it's not for us mere mortals yeah. right. here, right? <laughs> I understand. My goodness, it's a deluge of information that it requires us to start really using computers to start analyzing and start making sense of this information. And so coming full circle to what I started to talk about is this era of computational science that is so exciting because the patterns that we as mere mortals think we can find in all of these omics fields you think about all the different patterns we're trying to extract the DNA from dinosaurs and compare, you know, the woolly mammoth to the elephant and understand how evolution occurred and how the DNA mutated or it progressed from one, one animal to another and became this other thing and so on and so forth. All of these studies that are allowing us to compare genomes, mm -hmm. the genomics fields, all of these studies that are allowing us now to understand transcriptomics, proteomics, metabolomics, and there's even specialties within metabolomics, which is glycomics, all of the all of the sugars, mm -hmm. lipidomics, all of the lipids as well. And so these specialties are generating very, very acute information that now we're going to need to synthesize back to make some sense then we have the computational ability or we're starting to have the computational ability to do that. And so if you're hearing also rumors about AI, artificial yeah. intelligence. Right. Yeah. Okay, artificial intelligence. Yeah, most people think it's the robot that's going to do things. <laughs> right, right, gonna, right. It's going to make my food, going to get my <laughs> drinks, it's going to make uh -huh. my bed and clean my house. Yeah, sure, okay. But the real, real application that we are excited about is this machine learning uh, algorithms that people can, can actually develop to start to understand this big, big data that is starting to be generated. And, you know... Well, think you about have to, as, as much data that's being generated by mm -hmm. that field alone, yeah. you would have to have... I mean, there's no way a person could cipher through all that. It's very difficult. And so people mm -hmm. specialize. I am in the field of proteomics. And because in order to look at all the proteins at once, it's a very specialized set of techniques that you need to use in order to imagine. You take this a pool of cells... You grind them all up, make a big soup of cells, and then you have to pull out only the proteins and then decipher what are the differences in all these different types of proteins. And so there are techniques to get at that uh, basic molecule that you're trying to understand is very specialized. And the technique to then analyze the data is very specialized. And so people that are in these specialties mm -hmm. really dedicate themselves and they go deep. And then if you want to get them to collaborate with others, the challenge is to get them to communicate, right? So it's just, it, I'm glad you're talking about, you know, the specializing and that it's taken, you know, very specific techniques for this because that doesn't sound like something you could just jump right out of high school and straight into or jump right out of like a four-year college and jump, okay, now I do this. It sounds 
first of all, like it would take some time. And secondly, like it wouldn't just be one person. It sounds like it takes a lot of these people in different specialized areas to really make something and, and get a contribution from that. True. You Because the sciences are so uh, at the infancy stages mm -hmm. of development, even though it's been a few decades in developing, right. you know, but we're still very much at the infancy. There's still a lot to be done, even within the field, without having to bring anybody else into the mm -hmm. picture. Um, how do we get better data from biology, from the things that are living, so that we can understand and we can be prepared uh, for an eventuality or whatever, right? Uh, so uh, and it, it could be disease, it could be environment, it could be any different type of field, agriculture, and uh, it's so many different fields that get impacted by what we understand about basic biological rhythms and mm -hmm. basic biological processes. So there's still a lot to be done about, you know, how do we extract the most information possible and because we know that if we're not extracting good information, eh, it makes mm -hmm. it very difficult, right? Very mm -hmm. noisy. Um, but but it is it is awesome to start seeing these pockets of of places where we can start merging these fields. And the scientists today, the scientists that we are developing here at Purdue, they do become specialized in their field. But what we're doing is that we are at least engaging them to start to understand these omics technologies as resources for them to answer questions about their biology, about their work, their programs that they're trying to. And so the, the idea is to know uh, enough to use these different modalities to answer questions that they might have. They don't need to be the proteomics expert, but they need to know that there's proteomics field out there that is perfecting the way and that it could provide answers for them in whatever they're trying to do. Um, so, you know, I'll give you an example. If we wanna des design a drug for a particular disease and we wanna know if that disease is going away because of the drug that we are administering, well, we need to find out, you know, is that virus there or not? Let's say if we provided a SARS-CoV-2 medication, right? And we wanted to identify whether the virus is present or not. Well, we have to go look for the genetic material of said virus that we're looking for. And we do that by sequencing or by doing these other techniques that allow us to uh, isolate that genetic material and then amplify it or uh, and make more of it so that we can analyze it and we can determine if it is that virus or mm -hmm. not, right? So these techniques, even though they're in their nascent stage, are, are going to have and are starting to have a big impact in clinics. Um, you know, there's there's problems with hospital-acquired infections. You hear about, you know, antimicrobial resistance. And mm -hmm. this is a problem because of our use of antibiotics. And, you know, uh, 
perhaps this is something that, that the omics field can help us with because either from the basic side, we can understand better how it is that we need to treat, mm -hmm. how it is that we need to design elements that are therapeutic for us, but not damage the body. Mm -hmm. um, but we can also use these to create diagnostics where us at home can figure out if we're infected or not, mm -hmm. right? Uh, eventually, with enough data and with enough uh, omics, yeah. we'll be able to develop these um, in your home lab in the medicine cabinet, right? Where hopefully we'll be able to be connected in a deeper way with our medical community and they can tell us, hey, it's time for you to go in for a checkup I'm seeing something or whatever it might yeah. be, or uh, my child just woke up and I don't know what it is that they have and we did a test, oh, I see it's the flu or whatever it mm -hmm. might be, right? Having, having this at our hands uh, yeah. is gonna be really powerful, but it comes a lot from understanding these basic mechanisms, these omics, as we've been talking about. Well, you went a lot deeper than I thought. I mean, talk about narrow, because I'm thinking, okay, he's going to talk about the difference between, like, bio biology and geology. You know? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Well, you, no, 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 no. Geology is you left behind, like, decades yes. ago. You just you have to sink way down there and really get a yes. fine point on it. That's right. That's Dang. Right. So how much, I mean, i got to ask, um, with you being able to sequence things it, it, to the point that we are now, and with us being able to process is where we are now. And now you even talked about bringing in the machine learning mm -hmm. to be able to, and then I mix that in with, I'm trying so hard not to crack up. I mix that in with the fact that we're 90% banana already. Yes. So how long before y'all develop the Star Trek replicators <laughs> so I can punch in what food I want and it generates it? Yes. That's what I want. I want a 3D print of my food with your, DNA sequencing. Well, yes, uh, Quiet, sir. We'll, we'll need a lot of materials engineers for that one. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it's actually it's very interesting, right? Can we can we uh, do things like that eventually? Um, questions that we have now, probably because of where we are, is can we bring back a woolly mammoth? because I have the DNA of it. Yeah. Can I mm -hmm. can I bring back an endangered species or a species that's gone extinct? Uh, can I do that for conservation? Or, um, you know, can I, um, can I tell the patterns of everybody that has been swabbing their cheek and sending mm -hmm. it to companies like 23andMe so that they get sequenced and so, now what you have are all of these lineages of people who, whose ancestry you can find out. And so that gives you a cultural perspective. Oh, I am so much percent of this, so mm -hmm. much percent of that. Now, I was but, under the impression those weren't really very accurate. They are pretty accurate. Oh, wow. Very accurate, in fact, because we, we've been able to sequence a lot of populations across the globe mm -hmm. and so we've done it to the extent where we think we understand how humans uh, move from Africa where we started 
and spread out across the globe. We can trace, we can trace the DNA into all of these populations. Really? Yeah, it's really incredible. It's, it's fantastic, uh, fantastic work. And like that, we're also able to chase the lineage of plants. I mean, what? Corn, you beautiful yellow corn. Uh-huh used to look like a little grass there with this little thing here that you would never, ever say, oh, this is corn. It's this old plant called Teosente that was taken by the Mayans and mm-hmm. domesticated, but it's taken us years of breeding and, right, and selection and so on to do this. So if you left corn out in the field, Probably in in few years, I don't know if if it would still go on the mm-hmm. same way that it is now. Beautiful, right? Because we've made these elite varieties and so on. Right. But that, uh, like understanding agriculture, understanding our lineages, our understanding lineages of animals, um, it's, it's an important study, but for us, this also allows us to understand patterns of mutations for diseases. Um, and so we've been able to identify many times patterns that are associated with particular diseases, particular cancers, um, and that is a huge plus. There are a lot of genetic diseases, uh, there are a few rare ones too, but there are a few that we do see pop up in the population and uh, we we have a lot of potential for genetic um, uh, understanding, but also gene therapy and moving right. into a future where we would be able to correct some of these problems, right? A person that is born with type 1 diabetes is a mutation in their DNA. And if we can correct that mutation, then this person wouldn't have diabetes anymore. Mm -hmm. So these types of solutions that we're trying to piece together and think about. Now, how often, uh, I hate to ask you a serious question, um, because it's with the things that you're talking about, where do ethics come in? And because, what you're approaching is a boundary line beyond yeah. our understanding. The, the abilities that we could only in science fiction do. But when you're talking about the fact that, oh, it's possible we could bring an extinct species back. Right. You know, and things like that. Where, where, where's the line and yeah. who, who stops someone? Right. If maybe you have a group of people that are like, we could do this. Right. And they run <laughs> off and they do it. I mean, it's once we have that knowledge, knowledge is power. Yeah. And so, how are we keeping the power within acceptable social norms? Yeah. Uh, it's such a I hate saying that because that sounds yeah. so it's like a, a book burning thing. Yeah, but it's, it's questions a, you have to ask. Absolutely, and Steve, it's a uh, it's a very important question to ask. You know. Um, we have a huge responsibility as scientists and the knowledge that we do have. Um, and I can tell you that a lot of what we do, we do question. And I think for, for much of that, we haven't approached some of these um, experiments, if you will. 
Uh, I can't tell you what's happening at other places around the world because now that knowledge is is open, right? It's published in journals and people can have access to that. And so, you know, I don't want to paint a bad picture here. Well, uh, because it, no, that, no, but it, it's something that we need to continue to think about and, and you know, keep a conscious mind about because it, uh, it is absolutely a responsibility that we do carry. And so I know that many uh, scientists uh, do the most to keep that uh, momentum going also for the ethical values about what we're trying to find out. Because there's a lot of slippery slopes and mm -hmm. scientists are humans too. Mm -hmm. We want certain outcomes. Trust me, we're human, right? Like I, I'm doing an experiment. I have a certain hypothesis mm -hmm. about it, but as a scientist, I'm really supposed to disprove the hypothesis, right? Mm -hmm. But you know, you have wants, you want have feelings, <laughs> you want right. like you've been spending hours on end on this thing. You want it to work. You want it to come and. It's it's very difficult to always always uh, carry a neutral mind mm -hmm. about it all, right? Uh, but we check each other. Uh, there's a lot of ethics also as to what gets funded in our government, and so okay. oh, a lot okay. of the work that we do, um, especially at an institution or public institution is funded by government agencies like the National Institutes of Health, NIH, or the National Science Foundation, NSF. And these are government agencies that have their own regulatory bodies yeah. that say, can you or can you not conduct this experiment? Have you gone through the proper channels, through the proper regulatory approvals before you go, you're going to get the money to start doing this experiment. Um, you know, science is, um, is a field that keeps moving because it keeps asking questions, questions in search of the truth. Question after question in search of the truth. And so that's one reason why I value science so much. It's because it's a process. It's a, it's, a, it's a way of asking questions and going about answering those questions that reveals what is the potential truth. And, uh, and the excitement about many scientists doing this and carrying this responsibility is, is this piece also that we need to make sure we're we're communicating with each other, we're honest with each other, we're publishing the right information, we are uh, proposing to do the right experiments, all of this. And so there is this peer, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, uh, checks and balances, checks and balances mm -hmm. always going on. Mm -hmm. So when I ask uh, the government, NIH or NSF, for some money to do my research, wow, jeez, it's a panel full of people. They're going, they're going through every single inch of your proposal. They're going through every single inch of your biosketch. 
to make sure that your idea is worth investing, number one, because this, these are hard-earned tax dollars that, yeah. thank you very much, they're paying for our research, but make sure that it is the right investment. Make sure that it's being done at the right place, because if you don't have the right infrastructure to do what you're doing, or what you propose to be doing, then I'm sorry, you're not gonna get the money. And make sure that you're the right person with the right credentials to do that type of work. So all of these elements have to come together for, for a group of people that are peers of the yeah. individual to, to decide, yep, uh, this sounds good or no, uh, not so good. And you need to show a lot of proof of regulatory approvals before moving forward. I think that really that that fits really nicely into the question I was thinking about. Well, how did how I, we're thinking of? I think especially at our institute, right? The um, uh, in, in infectious disease. Yes. And how do we? What's driving the questions that we're asking? So I think this this um, is a good explanation, maybe of, of some of those questions that are getting asked. Which ones are selective? Is that correct? The, sure, and you know. Um, for infectious diseases, there, the, you know how how things are. I, and, and let me ask you, mm -hmm. uh, your, if I if I understood your question, are you talking about selection of drugs or, or things just like any, that? What's what's what how question, what are, you question are we answer? asking? Yeah, oh, questions you're yes. trying to answer. I'm mm -hmm. thinking yes. well, on that. It's like when COVID came out. Mm -hmm. yes. COVID impacted. Well, the world, mm -hmm. right? It impacted right. such a, it was such a large impact. Yes. Government agencies, they channeled and directed money into research Correct. for that. Mm -hmm. And so my guess is the panels, the governatory bottles in the panels, who's controlling where that fund is, you might have a great idea and I might have a great idea, but if your idea is going to impact more people in a positive way, they're probably going to fund you versus me. Right. right. And so it's... It, Right. Is that is that where you're going? I with think that? absolutely. Yeah. The the sort. How do we? There are so many. It's yes. it's overwhelming the number of questions we could ask. Yes. So, what's driving the questions that are being asked, and how are right? How, how does one question get funded to be researched, and, sure. and one question? Well, no. And and I think Steve is right. Mm -hmm. There are panels. They decide what are the important questions that need to be answered. And so what they do is that they put out these requests for applications to the scientific community. Mm -hmm. And they put these out on their website and say, we're requesting for applications that will answer these particular questions. For example, we have emergency funding now. We need new therapeutics. We need new antivirals. The reason why we don't have antivirals we were hit by COVID yeah. and no antivirals. Why? Because uh, pandemics come every one in a hundred years. <laughs> right. And so who's going to be investing millions of dollars in developing antivirals when you can only use them once every hundred years, right? So there's this, uh, this uh, understanding that, oh, we were left with this surprise of a pandemic and left kind of unprepared. So there's this a call that says, hey, we're looking for centers 
that are going to make antivirals against coronaviruses and other uh, viruses of pandemic concern. Because there are other viruses that are out there that have and pose the potential kind of like the coronaviruses um, for pandemic. And so they want to know. So they released this request for applications and we assemble the scientists. I get the scientists together. We write the proposal. This is what we propose to do. This is where we propose to do it. This is with whom. And we send that off. And if they like our idea, they send the money and we start to get to work. And that's the strength of having a center yeah. like yours. Because if I was an individual researcher, I wouldn't be able to do that. It would be difficult unless you had a lot of collaborators and you called your collaborators yeah. and say, hey, I have this opportunity. I'll do this. You do that. Or what about if we do this together? Mm -hmm. And so that also works. Um, our institute is an advantage in that we do bring in from so many different disciplines and we can make connections sometimes when they don't know the connections are there to be made. Right. I, I, we can be creative that way. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. Now, are your connections, it, it, how does this work at it? I mean, this is a bar one university. Purdue is like, well, in my world, the elite university in the world. <laughs> but uh, as far as my world's concerned. But um, did you, when you make these connections, are they all in-house? Or are you like, no, 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 we, we want to collaborate with people around the world. We're, we're going to pick and try to get the best people together to make it be successful. How, how do you run that? You know, it, it depends on what is the expertise that is needed, what's being sought, what gaps do we need to fulfill in terms of the science that is being asked, right, uh, or evaluated. So if there are certain pockets of expertise that are needed, we can look in-house, and we typically do first to yeah. see if there's somebody at Purdue that, that can satisfy that need. And if not, we do go outside. I have the, the privilege of being able to work with what's called the Indiana Clinical and Translational Sciences Institute. This is an NIH-funded collaboration between Indiana University, Purdue University, and the University of Notre Dame. And what we've created is a partnership that is statewide. So now, if I need somebody and I don't have them here at Purdue, I can call my counterparts at IU or at Notre Dame, and I can say, hey, I'm needing a collaborator with this profile. Um, do you have anybody that you could recommend, or is there somebody that we can speak to? That's first. We need to understand what is the need for the expertise. But then people have to work together. <laughs> so it typically takes a little bit more chemistry for things to really work well. Yeah. If there isn't that chemistry, it, the projects don't always uh, don't always progress as quickly or as efficiently as they should. Good. That yeah, that's sense. understandable yeah. with any project. That that's sense. the hard part. And as you mentioned. Within, especially I mean, as narrow as of research, I mean, a fine point of research that you have, the people you work with are doing, their terminology that they use and that vocabulary that's so yeah. common, 
and I know for us, we've taught workshops with science teachers and math teachers. Yeah. And by the time they're done, they're like, we're teaching that, but we're calling it something slightly different. Right. You know, yes. it's like yes. all of a sudden they had to work on their vocabulary so that they knew they were teaching the same thing. Yes. And so I, oh, mercy, with uh, as narrow as your groups are, and it's, wow, I'm sure that's quite a challenge for them. I wanted to say this before, and and maybe it is it is along the same lines as I was saying. The students that we are training here, we want to make them aware of all these different modalities, these, these different specialties. Why? Because the scientist of today has to work on a team or has to work with a team yes. to be able to make that progress, to be able to make a significant impact. It's not always the case, but it's very rarely you find the individual scientists uh, who didn't get any help from anybody else to mm -hmm. make any progress. Um, think about the steps that would be required for what's called biomedical translation. How do I take a chemistry that I found, I made in a lab, and now all of a sudden I have this bottle that has this pill with the chemistry mm -hmm. and it sits in your cabinet for years and then you go and you oh I need a Advil I need Tylenol I need mm -hmm. and this thing is still good sitting there at room temperature for so long mm -hmm. so you know there's a lot of different people that had to uh, be involved in order for that process to go from discovery all the way to commercialization and having something that people can actually use safely. Mm -hmm. And so the biologists of today, the scientists of today, must know and be very well aware of all of these omic modalities because these are their tools. These are their tools that allow them to answer questions about the molecules they're studying, about the cells they're studying, about the organs and the organisms they're studying. So it, it does take a bit of knowledge, in a, a little bit of knowledge in all these different areas so that you can start to understand how best to use each modality. And so many biologists, many scientists are starting to pick up the, the lingos of the different areas, not to the, depth that the expert can, <laughs> but enough to communicate. And, right. and you know, what's, what's beautiful is to see computational scientists also communicating with biologists and trying to understand how to piece that together. Yeah. Because for a computational scientist, data is data is data. <laughs> and, right. and, and for the biologist, it's like, well, it depends if it's noon or nighttime uh -huh. and at what temperature, what's the pH, what's the atmospheric pressure, all of these things, right? right? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, I, first of all, thank you. Uh, this was yes. awesome. Your <laughs> explanations were just fantastic. absolutely perfect. <laughs> the analogies made things so much clearer for me. To understand, I well. don't really Very care about anybody else in the world. <laughs> right. I understand it so much better. Awesome. Now. Well, <laughs> my job is done. <laughs> so one last question. Yes. Then, we're, then we'll leave you alone. I, I know we're probably over time already on you. You said you're a magician. Magician. Uh, musician. <laughs> yes. You said yes. you're a musician. Yes. 
Yes. And uh, it's nice to know that a scientist is like a normal person. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not accusing you of being normal entirely. So, I mean, it's, but, you know, some commonalities with normal. My uh, wife would say different things about my normality. <laughs> but what, what do you play? What instrument do you play? I play guitar and I sing. Um, I'm a very big fan. Bob Dylan, like a Bob Dylan jukebox. Nice. Oh, yeah. nice. That is awesome. Yeah. I'd find out. I'd yeah. find out. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you again for coming and joining us. We really yeah. appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for tuning in, everybody out there. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Science from the Experts from Purdue University Superheroes of Science. If you like this episode, subscribe, give us a positive view, and share the love. Boiler up! Hammer down!